Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> Back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and today we're going to be previewing Indiana, who Michigan State sees for the first time this year. Uh, and Rod, a, a kind of an inflection point, as you'd like to say, in the program um, right now with Michigan State. Um, you know, any win from here on out is a good one. Um, but where do you think we stand, uh, you know, as we sit here today and and maybe give a little insight on, into what Izzo has been um, talking about and, and saying to players? Yeah, he had a press. We're recording this on Thursday night. And he had a press conference today where I, I think a lot of people took some things he said and came to what I'm pretty sure are incorrect conclusions based on a partial reading of what he said rather than the totality of it. Imagine that in Mm -hmm. uh, 2021 that people don't take the totality of a quote, (laughs) (laughs) but rather selectively do. Okay. So here's, here's what I mean. And this gets into things that you and I have been talking about, about the future, Mm -hmm. right? This is a, this is a team that is scheduled to lose if he didn't decide to take yet another year of eligibility, which he could do is scheduled to lose only one player in Josh Langford. He's the only senior. So, and you could have multiple guys, a lot of guys, almost the whole roster opting to come back theoretically. Um, I am not of the belief that that's what's going to happen. I think there will be some attrition. Uh, we know that Aaron Henry is a mortal lock to leave, so that would be your. So you don't have to worry about there not being enough scholarships for the three twenty-one guys that have been committed all along. That, that's your three right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that they're they're probably going to have at least another guy or two leave. That would be my guess for a lot of reasons, and I think that was probable even before this season unfolded the way that it has. I don't think that's strictly a function of the struggle they've had in Big Ten play. I think it was about roles and available minutes and all of those things. And you've seen it unfold the whole season, right? There's a lot of guys on this team, the big men in particular, where you could really point to almost any one of them and make a case for them concluding, hey, I need to get, or I want more consistent playing time and I can get it somewhere else. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So there's nobody in that short of maybe Joey Hauser, I guess, 
that could say, well, I always get the minutes that I, you know, that I expected, you know. Um, but in any event, obviously, with the way things have gone lately, this topic of who is going to be part of this thing going forward has started to become ur- an urgent matter for a lot of fans. And Izzo spoke to it today, and he, he had a quote where in the beginning he was talking about how they've been having very candid conversations with everybody on the roster recently. Um, and talking about how, hey, scholarships are a two-way street. And, you know, meaning they're in they're one-year renewable scholarships, right? Mm-hmm. So his what you would conclude he means by that or might mean by that is, look, there's no guarantee that we bring you back if we don't believe you're capable of playing at the level we need you to play at. That's That would be the message. And, and that's something that has become much more the norm in basketball to some extent. It's really become the norm in football. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mel Tucker brought that to Michigan state. And I think very clearly that's how MSU's football program is operating now in a way that Mark D'Antonio's program did not. But that caught MSU up to where a lot of other programs have already been that, you know, the Michigan fan base has joked for years about this term, uh, process that a player gets processed meaning they're just kind of told they don't have a scholarship available for them anymore and so they they opt to transfer out um but i don't think it's that simple and i don't really think that's what is always saying and the reason i say that is he followed up that statement by also saying but you know with a lot of these guys, I don't know how much COVID has had an impact by which I conclude he's saying, look, I don't know how much I can hold them responsible for the way that they're playing this year. Because as we've talked about frequently is those missed five weeks since October with this team, that there's the disjointed nature of the practicing, no real opportunity to do what Izzo normally does every year with his teams through the course of a season in terms of developing them. And now on the, on the far side of their um, COVID uh, mandated layoff, they've been in a situation and will be for the rest of the season um, where it's just basically about games. Mm-hmm. There's no time to work on individual players games or the team development. There's no we time or us time. It's strictly moving game to game, game planning for the next one, then game planning for the one after that, and so on. That puts a real limiter, at least in the Michigan State program, it does. You know, obviously, the response to all that is, well, everybody's dealing with COVID. Well, for starters, everybody hasn't had the exact set of circumstances Michigan State has. Most teams never lost their coach. Mm -hmm. All right? So start with that. Most teams, the majority of college basketball coaches have not had COVID. All right. I'm pretty sure that's an accurate statement. Um, And so they haven't had that. We don't have every team having the same kind of layout. Now, there are programs that had it worse, but within the Big Ten, Michigan State got it pretty badly. I'd say Michigan is the only one that had it the same way. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, not every program's run the same way. We, Everybody who follows Michigan State basketball has to realize that it is an annual pattern 
that the team starts in November and December and there's some rough moments and then they get better and they get better over time in part because of the time Izzo has with them to really get the screws tightened. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a season long pattern of development and that's how he does things. Well, that's been completely interrupted and made unavailable. So it can impact different programs differently. And I think the conclusion that I, and that's not to absolve him from any responsibility in this. He's still got the lion's share of responsibility for what's happened. But if you don't understand those things, you really don't understand much about what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are factors. So anyway, I read that statement as him kind of, as he often does, saying one thing and then doing a U-turn on it. And, and this is the deal. Michigan State has always been very candid with players. That goes back to Judd. Judd used to, I remember if you've ever, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have read Judd's book that was published a couple years after, after he retired. Um, I remember there's one story in there about how he handled Kirk Manns. When mm-hmm. Kirk Manns was kind of, uh, again, I'm sure at least some of our listeners remember Kirk Manns. He was a great shooter in the late 80s, was part of that 1990 Michigan State Big Ten Championship team. Kirk Manns came in as a big-time shooter, but he struggled at Michigan State early on, primarily because he couldn't defend, primarily because he was overweight. He was not in good enough condition. And he was crying about playing time, and his parents were seriously thinking that he should transfer, as was he, and they wanted a meeting with Judd, and Judd was brutally honest with him. To his credit, he decided to stick it out, and he made himself into a guy who, by the time he was a senior, was a legitimate weapon um, and had a great end to his career. You know, and Izzo's followed that template. And we've seen years. If you remember, um, what was it, prior to the, it was after the um, 15-16 season, where Michigan State had yeah, Marvin, Marvin Clark, Clark Javon Bess, Bess. Yep. transfer out. You know, those guys were... Alvin Ellis, certain, too, right? Wasn't... Uh, well, Alvin Ellis decided to stay. Okay. All but right, there yeah. were, that's the thing, he did. though. He stayed I think all the way. There were more guys that got that message and then decided to stay. Those guys, though, were given a lot... You know, in Marvin Clark's case, I think... The message it was, well, I don't think, I know, the message it was delivered was, look, you're not rebounding and defending at the level you need to in order to be a major part of this team going forward. Okay? And Javon Bess, it was injuries had taken some things away from him. But again, I think it was a similar kind of message. And those guys opted to transfer out. I think for both of them, it was a decent decision. They both had um, good finishes to their careers at, at uh, St. John's and St. Louis, respectively. Um, so it wasn't bad, and I don't get the sense there's any long-term bad blood with the program because of it. But th- those conversations have happened regularly, and I expect they're going to happen with this team. And I do think there will be a guy or two who will have those conversations and ultimately conclude that their future is probably better spent elsewhere. But there's a difference between that and saying, hey, we don't have a scholarship for you anymore. you got to go, which mm-hmm. basically is forcing someone out. And, and I've sensed 
in particularly in the last couple weeks, a, a growing sentiment upon in a portion, a portion of the fan base that would support that. Speaking solely for myself, and I don't know how you feel, that would horrify me because it would cut against everything Tom Izzo's built, right? This notion of family. Yeah. Izzo's been one of the leading guys decrying this transfer culture, right? He spends a lot of time talking about how we're not doing our kids any favors by teaching them that, you know, to take the easy way out, to not fight through adversity, right? He talks about that every season in recent years. Mm-hmm. So now he's going to be a guy who just essentially cuts somebody who, yeah, who by the way, there, there's nobody in this program who I've heard about or anything's been made public about who's been an academic problem. The, the only guy who fell into that category at one point was Marcus Bainham. And my understanding is he's no longer in that category. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's made changes. Um, but there's nobody in academic trouble that I'm aware of. Um, there's nobody who's gotten into any obvious trouble criminally, socially. There's nobody who's been a detriment to the program in that way. So absent that, you're going to now expect him to force people out? I don't know. I mean, no. what do you think about that? I, yeah, I don't think he should at all. I, I mean, I think that's one of the best uh pillars of this program is that uh he doesn't give up on people you know That's right. you can sell that to recruits like yeah. i will not Bingo. give up on you you know what i mean Bingo. that's and that's the, exactly right you lose loyalty, your ability to say that if you loyalty is a two-way street right yeah and if if it can be clearly seen that he is no longer operating that way that it becomes this you know virtually pro style look you're not good enough we thought you were, you're not, you got to go. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the message you want. And, you know, there's a segment of a population that believes that, well, that's life at the big time in 2021. And you got to do for the team. You got to do what's right for your program. If that means forcing guys out, so be it. Yeah. The other thing too is if you do that, it puts you on this path of having no choice but to do one of two things or both, either you are constantly dealing with one and done players. And that would be very difficult for his to do because I, you know, I just don't think that's his style. We've never seen him effectively recruit those guys. He's not going to be willing to do the things you got to do to get a critical mass of those kind of players. Mm. That's clear. But, but then the other thing is, okay, it turns you into, you know, the Fred Hoiberg style transfer factory. And look, there are guys that do, you know, Chris Beard at Texas Tech is an example of a guy who has figured out a way to do that and do it very effectively and get those kids, the the guys he brings in to buy into his thing and credit to him. But that's never been Tom Izzo's strength. If you you look at the history of this program, the success stories have not been short-termers, really, Yeah, you know? I mean, they just haven't been when, when Michigan States had great teams and the great players that we talk about, they're guys who are around for a while. Um, you know, even transfers like, you know, somebody like Aaron Harris who sat out a year and then played two. So he was a three-year guy in the program. 
I don't think he ever had the career that some hoped he would. Mm. You know, Mike Chappelle. Mike Chappelle hit a couple big shots in the national championship game, but his career was a bit of a disappointment after he transferred in from Duke. Um, there just aren't, you know, I hate to say it, and I certainly hope that we're going to see different things down the line, but this season with Joey Hauser, you know, it, this has not proven to be a program that the, the only guy I can think of who met or exceeded expectations as a transfer is probably Brandon Wood. That's it. You know, so I, I don't know if that's a path you can really have a lot of justification feeling good about going down that road, you know. Um, that's not to say you don't try it and you don't, where you see a fit and you, you know, those types of things. Okay. And I think that's where MSU is probably going to be this off season. They're probably going to look to get a guy or two like that. And that's fine. But if you play this game, you know, the way we're talking about, you put yourself in a position where you have no choice, but to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't think that's something, you know, be careful what you wish for comes to mind. With, with yeah. a lot of these fans who are screaming about, you know, force lawyer out, force Kithier out, blah, blah, you know, on and on. And it's, I just think it's a very, very dangerous path. But again, when I read the entirety of what he said, I don't think he's going down that road. I think he's going to lay it out honestly for people. And I think there's going to be a guy or two that are in that post group, especially. That's where I expect to see the attrition for sure. And there's going to be a guy or two that's going to look at it and say, you know what, I can, I can play more consistent minutes, and I can probably be a better fit in another program. And it's, I'm going to say this too, I'm going to be a little bit surprised if that guy is Thomas Kithier. Mm -hmm. I know, I know, there's a lot of people hearing this who probably don't want me to say that, and and don't want that to be true. He would not be number one on my list of guys to go. Yeah, really, because. Because I think Izzo's relatively happy with what Thomas Kithier does in his role, you know, and and I just that's how I think it is. And you may hate that, but <laughs> and, and I mean, if you go through and think about how many guys, like as seniors, maybe Michigan State's had that's truly been dead weight compared to the amount of guys they've had, you know, like the Costellos, Goran Sutons that that really contributed their junior and senior years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I ag agreed. You know, it's, it's not, you know, there are guys who never quite get over the hump, you know, mm -hmm. certainly there are those, but, um, and I'm not saying I want any particular player to leave. I'm just saying my read of the situation, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. And this is not, shouldn't be in any way characterized to, to say that I'm hoping to see it. But I look at somebody like Julius Marble, and I think, okay, he's not a Michigan kid. He's from Texas. His father died, which is always mentioning today, is that he's gone through an incredibly tough year, you know, dealing with that, on top of all the COVID shit and all that. So he's not from here. I could see, I don't know this, but it wouldn't shock me if he were to feel like he would rather be closer to home. You know, that happens frequently with guys who are in, a, you know, he's not in a great situation, right? The team is having a terrible year. His playing time has been very inconsistent. And 
so there's not that holding him at Michigan State. It's not like he's like, well, I'm in such a great situation. I can't even fathom leaving here, Mm -hmm. right? So you got that. You got that he's from a long way away. And, And then I look at what he is as a player, and we talk about it all the time. Julius Marble, there's no question Julius Marble could score some. He's proven that. He did it the other the other day. You know, he had 10 points against Purdue. Um, and he had a huge game against Duke, you know, earlier in the season. So he's done that. But right now, at least, he has not shown any semblance of having the kind of defensive ability and consistency or rebounding ability and consistency that would be required for him to become the guy or a or just a consistent part of the rotation in a major way. You know, he hasn't done that. There are programs where Julius Marble simply being the scorer that he is would probably get him on the floor more. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just the truth. And so I don't know where that would be. And again, I'm not trying to sell that. It it may be that his desire is to stick it out and he loves being a part of the program and wants to get better here. And that would be great. That's fine by me. But that's what I mean when I say there are guys that I think are more likely. I can see an easier case for him and for him to find another, even another high major program somewhere that would take a fire on him. I think somebody would. Mm-hmm. You know, he's shown enough that somebody would look at it. who has got a hole at their five and say, yeah. We'll take a chance with this guy that we can turn him into something. Yeah. It's not um, like he'd be Abilene State or something. You know. No, no, absolutely not. And that's the thing. I think people think always in the hill, that's the, the popular routine with lawyer or Kithier. Why don't they transfer to Oakland? Well, one, those guys may not want to play at that level. They may want to continue to be part you know, Thomas Kithier came from Michigan State family. His mother played volleyball at MSU. So he's been an MSU fan his whole life. Mm. You think it's just a snap thing? That, oh, I can get more minutes at Oakland. Why don't I go there? Not necessarily. <laughs> and again, I don't think, I don't know this for sure, but I don't think he's a guy, as opposed to some others, that Izzo is having conversations with and saying, look, you're not doing enough for, for us to continue giving a significant role. Mm. You know, I don't because I think Thomas Kithier does things that Izzo wants. Yeah. And that doesn't mean he'd continue to be a starter, but I don't think he's at the top of that hit list. And I know that's going to outrage a lot of people. That's how I think it is. Same deal with Foster Lawyer. I don't think Foster Lawyer this year has done anything to damage the perception that Izzo has of him as a player. I think he's probably enhanced it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's made improvements defensively. He's done a better job, in my opinion, overall running the offense. Not great. I'm not trying to make a case that, hey, MSU should be fine playing Foster Lawyer 30 minutes a night. I'm not Mm. saying that. But the things that he would have to do to make Izzo believe that he should be a part of things going forward and that there is a role for him, I don't think he's done himself damage as much as some of the people listening to this might want to believe otherwise. Mm. So I don't think those guys are near the top. There are other guys. Marble would be one. Bainham's another one. Bainham's a guy a lot of programs would look at and say, boy, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. And there is. But his MSU experience has been very in and out, very up and down. 
would he be a guy who would be more likely? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, a kid like AJ Hogart, I don't know what he, how he views his future. He hasn't done anything this year to, to say he's the guy going forward by any means, you know, and you got Jaden Akins coming in next year. I don't know. He's not from Michigan. He's a Pennsylvania kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? So we're going to see some changes. I don't have much doubt about that, but I think the kind of things that some segment of the fan base has gotten themselves to think they wish to see, I think they're going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at. Okay. Um, well, if, uh, turning to Indiana now, um, 12 and nine, Overall, seven and seven in the conference, twenty eighth in Ken Palm, uh, which is the highest they've been in a while, really since the Crean era. Uh, yep, forty one on offense, twenty seven on defense. Um, so their efficiency is uh, probably maybe a little bit better than the record would suggest. Um, yeah, well, a, other than the fact that you have to take into account they're playing in the Big Ten. That's true. Yeah, but you're right. I, I think. The big change has been on the offensive end. Like they're not a great offensive team, but 41st isn't bad. And it's better than they've been under Miller to date. You know, I think that's responsible for the difference in this Indiana team. Defensively under Archie, they've generally been pretty good. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty good this year. But offensively, they've had real problems in the past, you know, especially shooting the three. They're not a brilliant three point shooting team this year, but they're better. And that's made the, uh, that's helped make the offense better as a whole. And they do some other things decently as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on offense, 153 in effective field goal percentage, 98th in threes at, so which puts them uh, 35.3%. Uh, yeah. And that's what is... I mean. You don't think that's a great number, but look at the three years prior. Mm-hmm. It's significant. It's like 2% or better higher than any other year they've had under Archie Miller. That might not sound like a lot, but it is. It's significant. Yeah, 32% last year. Yep. Uh, 189 in twos, um, 236 in offensive rebounding. Um, yeah. After being 44th a year ago. So yeah, big, you big know drive. what I you know what I attribute that to? I mean, they it's, it's two guys that are not playing. Joey Brunk and Justin Smith. Mm-hmm. So you swapped out a 6'10 guy who just kind of had a knack for it and a super athletic 6'7 guy who attacked the offensive backboards, and you don't have guys who do comparable things playing this year. So that's a big part of why. they still got Trace Jackson Davis, but they don't have those guys, and so that's responsible for a big drop-off of an offensive rebounding team. They've gone from – very good to pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 89th in turnover percentage um, and 288 in free throw percentage, 66% yeah. from the line, uh, which is that, bad because they shoot a ton of them, Rod. Yep. Yep. It's it's the Achilles heel of this team. And it, you you know you kind of said it. The, the metrics would suggest that maybe they should – even have a better record than they do. And I said, well, part of that is the big 10. That's true. But the other part of it is 
the free throw end of the game has been a real problem for them. You know, it's one thing if you don't shoot a great percentage, but it's not a big part of your offense. You don't get there a lot. Okay. It hurts, but not that much. IU gets fouled a lot. I mean, between the two starting posts, Trace Jackson Davis and um, Race Thompson, those guys shoot more than 13 free throw attempts every game. Just those two guys. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not good free throw shooters. Trace Jackson Davis shoots 66%. I think Thompson shoots 61 So when guys shooting a lot of your free throws, probably you know, half or maybe slightly above the number of free throw attempts you get as a team. And they're both low to mid sixties free throw shooters. Well, it maybe shouldn't be a surprise if your team rate is in the mid sixties, mm-hmm. you know? So that's been a, that's been a problem. Yeah. Sixth in the country in free throw attempts per field goal. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. And a bit. 20, I think 22nd in free throw scoring as a percentage of overall scoring. So both mm-hmm. those numbers kind of suggest, Hey, this is a big part of what happens in an Indiana game and they're not very good at it. Yeah. At converting when they get there. Uh, a little bit better on defense again, 27th, uh, overall, uh, but a hundredth in effective field goal percentage against, um, and 86 against the twos, uh, but they're a little bit worse with threes at 118 um, and defensive rebounding percentage, uh, or I'm sorry, a little much worse against the threes than 86 in the twos, um, 118 in defensive rebounding percentage. Yeah, there's, there's nothing defensively that they're spectacular in, yeah, like but average at the threes. Yeah, it, they're they're average there. They're a bit better than average against twos. They'll block some shots, so they're not great at that. They don't generate many turnovers. They're not a pressure team. Mm-hmm. Um, and their defensive rebounding is okay. It's not spectacular, but to put it into perspective, I think Michigan State is at uh, 111, 110 or 111 right now and i use it 118 so Mm -hmm. they're very similar and we know for msu defensive rebounding has been not a consistent issue but a spotty one Mm -hmm. so that's about where it is for indiana um i think the the best thing you can say about indiana defensively is they don't foul people a lot they don't put people at the line very much Mm -hmm. and so that helps when you're when you're forcing people to score against set defenses and you're not giving them easy ones, easy chances to score that way, that helps. So they really not gambling a whole lot, but they're not uh, exceptionally bad at anything. Right. Of, yeah. Know. And so you do that, you do those things well enough and that's how you get to be 27th in the country mm-hmm. on defense. You know, it's funny. You see those numbers and you think, boy, a team that's ranked that high overall you would expect to see a strength. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really have one, but it goes to show you sometimes that's what can happen where you just don't have that weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, all right. So uh, if you look at their starters, Rob Fennessy, 6'1 junior, 7.4 points a game, 38 from the floor, 30 from three, 65 from the line. Uh, but he does lead them in assists um, by one over Durham. Yeah, he and Al Durham, very similar playmaking numbers. They're both um, 
about two and a half to one assist to turnover ratios, which is good, you know, and they kind of share that on ball duty. Um, Fennessey, you know, at this point, I think you just sort of have to conclude this is what he is. He's never been able to break through as a jump shooter. You mentioned 30% from three. Yeah. That's, that's, that's held him back from being a bigger contributor. He's okay. He's been a, you know, overall, I would say he's decent defensively. I'd say overall, he's been a decently effective player for them, but you know, they're, they're going on, boy, is it five years now since Yogi Ferrell departed? Trying to remember, maybe it's only four. Whatever Yogi Ferrell's last year was is the last year that Indiana had really strong point guard play. And they just haven't, and they, they brought different guys in. And, you know, Devontae Green was part of it. We know he was classic, you know, up and down player in every respect. You know, Finnessy was a guy, he's been okay, but he hasn't really taken it, taken the bull by the horns. And then a guy we'll talk about on their bench this year, Christian Lander, who they had very highly regarded recruit. And they thought was a guy who might, I thought might be a guy who would help solve the problem. And he's been woefully inadequate in terms of his impact. Yeah. So Tennessee's kind of the best they've got, but um, maybe just not able to ever break through to date and, and be that true plus presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Al Durham, you'd mentioned 6'4 senior, 11.4 points a game, 39 from the floor, 38 from 377 from line, uh, and second on the team in assists. Him I like a little better. Al Durham's had a, you know, and it's under the radar a bit because, frankly, Indiana just has not been very good during his career. Mm-hmm. So people don't know his name or his game as well as they might have in other eras when Indiana had more team success. But Al Durham, particularly last year and this year, has had a pretty decent career. You know, he's right there as a playmaker for them. So if you count him as the point guard, he's been pretty good. But I I don't because he's not exclusively that. You know, solid shooter, good defender. He's he's athletic, a nice combination of athleticism and skill. Um, he's a nice player and has been. So it's no surprise. Mm. Yeah, he's really just been kind of had the same year <laughs> for three yeah. years in a row just yep. steady as she goes yeah never been now the, i guess the one criticism you might have is say well okay but why has he not been able to break through to the next level where he's like a true all big 10 level guard mm-hmm. maybe that's fair but i would i'll tell you this there's a lot of programs i can take a one in east lansing that would take a guy like him this year yeah for sure you know, I mean, there's there's a value to being a steadily good contributor. Uh, and then Armand Franklin, 6'4 sophomore, um, who's had a, a little bit of an increased role this season. 12.2 points per game, um, which is second on the team. 44 from the floor, 45 from three, and 77 from the line. He's had the breakthrough. I mean, I don't know if you've got his career shooting numbers up, but I'm pretty certain he's had a major uptick as a shooter this year. Oh yeah, um, I'm on Franklin. Last year he was uh, 26% from three. There you go. The so it's almost that's essentially a 20 point bump. The thing about Armand Franklin was when they recruited him, he was a guy that what I had heard about him is that they considered him just a winner. 
just a guy who wasn't always the most skilled guy, but just made winning plays, did the kind of things, you know, had the mentality uh, of a winner, was a bit of a leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, had all of that. The fact that he stepped up and really, really improved his offensive game has been a big, big boost because um, they like him defensively. He's got good size on the wing. You know, he struggles with the playmaking. He's got more turnovers and assists, which is an ideal for a guard. But um, on balance, he's had a big, big sophomore year. Um, And that's been huge for them. They needed somebody to step in to that role and and give them another consistent offensive presence. And he's he's proven to be the guy. Mm hmm. Uh, and then Race Thompson, 6'6", junior, uh, 9.7 points a game, 6.4 rebounds, which is second on the team. Um, 52 from the floor, 25 from three, 61 from the line. Uh, and getting yeah. just a little bit over a block a game. Yeah, he, you know, I like him. I mean, he's he's certainly not a perfect solution. The free throw shooting I mentioned has been a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, and, and maybe defensively there are certain matchups where you might take a hit because he is only 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Um, and the Big Ten's a league where, as opposed to a lot of other leagues, you do still see teams, at least at times, play bigger post combinations. And so if you don't, if he's out there, even though he plays bigger than his listed size, that could sometimes be an issue. But, man, he's had a nice year. I mean, he just, he's got a really good motor and he's strong. And as I said, I do think he plays bigger than his size. I don't know what his wingspan is, but I'm betting it exceeds his height by a few inches at least. Um, You know, would they be better off with Justin Smith in that role? Well, you can make a good argument for that, I suppose. But I think Thompson has, has held it down adequately at the very least. Yeah, and getting to the line five times a game. Yeah, which is kind of giveth and taketh away. Yeah, at 61. Great that he's that active, but then he shoots 61%. So you're like, uh, are we, we really want this guy shooting that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Trace Jackson Davis, 6'9", sophomore, 19.6 points a game, 9.4 rebounds, um, 53% from the floor, 66% from the line, a block and a half a game. 8.1 free throw attempts a game. So as advertised for him this year. Yeah. He's again, kind of a, I feel like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit in part because Indiana as a team has not been better than they've been in his two years. This is a guy who was really good as a freshman, really good. And this year he's been better than really good. It's only that he plays in the same league with Luca Garza and Kofi Coburn and and Dickinson, all of whom play for teams that are better than his team, you know, that he doesn't get more conversation. I mean, this is he's almost averaging a double double. He's almost averaging twenty points a game. Mm-hmm. And he's got the weight of the world on, you know, every team comes in loading up to stop him. Um, and he still produces. I think he's great. I mean, he's he has had every bit the kind of career that I think he was expected to have coming out of high school. And as I'm sure many of our listeners remember, he was one of the three guys that Michigan state really recruited hard in that 2019 post class. 
You know, it was yeah. Vernon Carey, Isaiah Stewart, and him. And they didn't land any of them. And and with him, they Michigan State was a firm second place on that. And there were points in time that they thought they, they had a good chance to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been a very different situation for MSU if they had had him, obviously. Um, you'd love to have a guy like that on this team. But they don't. Indiana has him. He's really, really good. Uh, so, Indiana, I, you wouldn't really say they used their bench a ton, 247 in bench minutes. Um, but Trey Galloway probably gets the most of those. 6'5 freshman wing, 4.1 points a game um, in about 21 minutes, 44 from the floor, only 19 from three, uh, 77 from the line. Yeah, it, it's the three-point shooting that holds him back. He's another guy. Michigan State um, recruited him early. Uh, I know he was at Midnight Madness one of his high school seasons, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a guy MSU looked at, and it just kind of became obvious that he was going to stay at home. So I think that they just kind of – the two drifted apart. Um, if he was a better three-point shooter, he'd really be having an impact. They They play him a lot even with that number, and he takes a lot of threes, um, mm. relatively speaking. I think it's like a third of over a third of his shots or right about a third are from three, and he's shooting 19%. Not great. Um, but I think they like him for the future. What he has shown is what his rep, what he's lived up to his rep coming out of high school, which is he's not a particularly strong shooter, but he's a guy who can help you in a lot of different ways. He's active got good defensive potential where he can help you in transition running the lanes. Um, he gets you buckets other ways than jumpers. And he's done some of that. And again, to be playing the minutes he's playing, he's obviously earned Archie Miller's trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jerome Hunter, 6'9", sophomore, 6.2 points a game, 2.8 rebounds, 44 from the floor, 41% from three yeah. um, in a decent amount of attempts, um, and then 50% from the line though yeah um you know jerome hunter just to refresh people's memory um very very highly regarded high school player was um was the focus from ohio was the focus of a big time recruiting battle in the big 10 was indiana ohio state and michigan all went hard john beelines michigan all went hard at him and indiana won out and then he had this mysterious lower body injury that never to my knowledge got really specified it caused him to miss his whole freshman season then last year he played and helped a bit had some moments but i think there were still questions about well how much can he get back can he become the guy he was expected to be because he was a guy that people really did think would be you know an all big 10 level player potentially down the line I think this year you look at the numbers and they're pretty good, right? You mentioned 41% from three for a six, nine guy who Mm. is really a power forward. Um, That's a good number, but I just feel like he doesn't do enough. You know, it's kind of like we, I always talk about this with Robbie Baran at Northwestern, every number in terms of efficiency on offense that you look at that guy, you're like, this is great. And yet you look at the production and you're left wondering, why doesn't he score more? Uh-huh. He, hits, he hits the shots he takes. Same thing with Hunter this year. 
Um, but look, Indiana will take what they're getting right now. They're, they're getting enough, obviously, out of Jackson Davis and Thompson that they need Hunter to be a reliable bench option, and he's been that. Mm. But I just think there, there could be even more to give. Uh, and then Jordan Geronimo, 6'6 freshman, 2.1 points a game, 1.7 rebounds, 60 from the floor, 29 from three, uh, eight from the line. Yeah, he's, uh, I think, one for 12 at the line on the season. <laughs> not, not very good. Um, Yikes. They like his future, and he's actually been playing a little bit more lately. He's still only averaging about eight minutes a game on the year, but it's been increased lately because he gives them – He's not quite as tall as Justin Smith was, but he is a guy they think over the long haul can be a player like that who's athletic but has some strength, can play mismatch for maybe in a little different way than Race Thompson does, where he gives you kind of a jolt of act of electricity and athleticism, whereas Race Thompson is about work rate and toughness and those things. It's a little different equation. But they like his future. He just needs to learn how to shoot free throws. Mm. Uh, and then Christian Lander, 6'1 freshman, 10 minutes a game, um, two points a game, 24 assists to 19 turnovers. I'm yeah. not sure what happened to this guy. You look, he started off playing a decent amount, and then there, it just, for about two well, months, he hasn't produced. there was just nothing. He hasn't produced, you know. Um, I think... You know, to refresh people's memory, Christian Lander was essentially a five-star recruit in the 2021 class, who then reclassified late. I think it was, God, was it August, September? It was a late decision. Committed to Indiana. It was always out there that he might do this, and then he made that decision and reclassified. And I will admit, to being kind of blinded by the accolades that he had and by Indiana's need at the point position for somebody, as I said, they haven't really had a satisfactory answer since Yogi Ferrell left. Mm -hmm. And I thought, boy, if this, I really thought him being good could be the tipping point in the season for Indiana. And the fact is he has not been good at all yet Indiana is in position where, at least as of today, they're firmly a tournament team. So, you know, it hasn't killed them. But if he'd been the guy that he was billed to be, would Indiana maybe be talking about being in that group with Ohio State and Iowa and Illinois instead of where they are? Yeah, maybe. Um, he shot miserably. You know, that's one of the things. And then to barely have more assists and turnovers is not a good look for a point guard. So he's obviously struggled. And when you see him, he's very slight, you know, physically he's not, he's clearly not ready in in strength terms, even playing guard for the big 10. And I think that's hurt him. I thought his quickness and court sense would be enough to get him over that hump, but it has not proven to be the case. So, you know, now you're talking about, you have to wonder, I think if you're an Indiana fan, what is he going to be? You know, is he going to be a guy, you know, clearly he's not ready to leave. So you assume he comes back. Is he going to take off next season? 
you know, or is, or is this a case where maybe that decision to go early ends up hurting him in the long run because he, he gets, he takes such a hit confidence wise that he never gets it back. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's an open question because he has not just failed to meet expectations. He's missed wildly. Yeah. I mean, if we he were hasn't talking, even had a game where like he, he went off for like 14 points, like, right. But... Right. There hasn't been that glimpse of, okay, here's, I mean, Christ, even Foster lawyer had that game against, uh, was it Ohio state? Yeah. 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 So I mean, to bring it back around to much maligned point guards, um, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, and I think it's a fair question at this point. What does he become? He's clearly not a major impact guy for this team. He's not solving any problems. I mean, that's why one of the main reasons why Rob Finnessy can go out and shoot 30% from three and he's still playing big minutes. Yeah. Cause Lander is not an answer, you know? Uh, and the other freshman, they got Anthony Leal, six, four, just under two points a game, 38 from the floor, 36 from three, 60 from the line uh, in about 14 minutes. And that was his rep. He came, the, the thinking was, I remember talking about this in our preview that, you know, Kaufman and Leo were AAU teammates. They come in in the same class, similar size. And my thought was, okay, Indiana has been a very bad shooting team. So, if one of these guys can just give him that, he probably stands to play a bigger role. And Leal was the guy who had that reputation. Kaufman didn't. Mm. Well, Leal has shot pretty well. And 14 minutes is nothing to sneeze at. He's clearly playing. But the guy who doesn't shoot well has played more, so go figure. I think part of that is because Indiana's had some improvement from other spots in their roster mm-hmm. in three-point shooting that – it hasn't been just turning on that one element because if it did, Anthony Leal's been clearly the superior shooter. Yeah. Um, but he's a, he's a guy to, I think has a future for them. You know, if he can be that kind of shooter and improve his, you know, get a little stronger, you know, improve just through experience and other elements of the game, get better defensively, those types of things. He's a guy I can easily see being a big part of their thing going forward. Cause as as Michigan State fans can attest to this year, you got guys who can shoot. There's always a need. Yeah, and we 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 may not see him. He didn't play against Minnesota yesterday, so I'm not sure. Oh, if that was yeah. I don't know if that was some yeah. It's possible. Right. No, I think yeah, and and it, it kind of it kind of depends on the flow of the game. But you know, 14 minutes a game. You're going to assume he'll see at least a bit of time, but mm. you know, you mentioned Archie Miller's not playing his bench at con. Yeah. You know, I think once, once you get past, um, Galloway and, um, and, uh, Hunter, you know, it gets dicier for those next three guys, you know, Geronimo has been playing more lately, but you know, how much Lander and Beal see the floor, I, I think it kind of depends. Uh, so if we look at the keys, Rod, uh, defend the arc. Yeah. Uh, this is not a great three-point shooting team, but they're good. You know, 35%. They're good enough that I think you know, MSU is not 
a complete defensive team. We know that. So you go into these games, I think, out of necessity, having to make a choice and say, okay, what are we going to take away? And the only way you truly take Trace Jackson Davis away is if you're throwing doubles at him and not probably not even then consistently would you stop him, you know? Mm-hmm. We know it's unlikely Michigan State's going to do that. So I think the game plan is similar to what we saw against Purdue. And by the way, I think it worked. Yeah, It kept Michigan State was in the game, right? Because they didn't let Purdue blow it out by hitting by hitting triples. I think it's the same in this one. You start you start your defensive focus out there. You don't let guys get, you know, multiple clean looks. You don't gamble by digging down and taking chances that you might leave an open shooter. You kind of Trace Jackson Davis is going to get his. But you do what you can with your big men to make him work hard and then you focus on taking away threes otherwise. I think that's where it has to start with this team. Yeah. And it's the one thing other than in that Iowa game that they've done well. Davis and uh, Williams have a very similar stat, you know. Exactly. D- Jackson Davis same scores goals. a little bit more, mm-hmm. but they they are yeah, they're very similar players in terms of production and general style. And I think it look, Trace Jackson Davis is I'm gonna be very surprised if he's not at least in the mid twenties in this game, but that's okay. He can do that if you take care if you guard the arc, you can be in the game with him doing that. Yeah. Uh so then the second key free throw shooting. Yeah, look, Michigan State you know, you look for areas where you've got advantages. Free throw shooting is one of them. It's about a 7% clip. MSU is better than, than IU from the line. Um, IU is almost certainly going to get there more because that's the nature of how they play and they're at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Michigan State can have an edge there, that would be significant. If they don't have an edge, conversely, that could be a problem. Uh, and then boards. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're extremely similar as defensive rebounding teams, as I, I mentioned a while ago. But uh, MSU has a big edge as an offensive rebounding group. And it is something that, at least on occasion, they've done well lately. Earlier in the season, I was really dissatisfied with where that was. Lately, you know, they're not going to, you're not going to think you're watching the Antonio Smith team. But they've been a little better, mm-hmm. and that needs to continue. And again, it's an area where you look at it and you think, where do we have edges? Where are there things that we could maybe have enough of a differential that it matters? And offensive rebounding would be one. Uh, and then threes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> in that Purdue game, MSU's three-point shooting and the differential between the two teams was enough to give MSU a chance despite the turnover problems they had. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to do that again. Now, you know, one of the things we haven't mentioned yet uh, that plays into that at least a little bit is Foster Lawyer is going to sit for at least a week with that shoulder. So he's not going to play, 
So that takes one guy who, when he's healthy, is a threat out of the lineup. Now, he hasn't been healthy. Consequently, he hasn't been hitting shots. So you're probably not losing much over what he could give you right now anyway. You are losing something relative to what a a healthy foster, foster lawyer could give you. But MSU was plus 40% against Purdue from three. Uh, they probably, to win this game, to steal, steal a win, get an upset here, I think they probably need to duplicate that. They need to be in that range. They got to have, because it's just, it's just too hard the way it's gone to see MSU getting consistent offensive production in, in enough ways in other phases, right? So guys like Langford, Brown, um, Watts, uh, Hauser, these guys have to be giving them something as shooters. Yeah, at least up until Henry. this point, this is the worst three-point shooting team Michigan State's had at, at least back to 2 <laughs> which is as yeah. far back as I can search yeah. on this thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, and and I got to be honest. I mean, I did not think that was going to be the case. No. Coming into the season, I really didn't. I thought Aaron Henry would be better than he's been. And he's had some moments lately, but I thought he'd be better than he's been. Um, I thought Watts would be massively better based on the way he closed the season. You know, Joey Hauser's been okay. I, I'm not sure where Joey's at right now, but I don't think he's shooting as well as he did at Marquette. Um, you know, and I and, and the thinking was, well, that's going to be a big boost because now MSU's got a true stretch four again that they yeah. didn't have last year. Well, it's been there, but intermittently. Um, you know, so uh, Langford's been okay, but they just they just haven't gotten enough shooting the relative to what I thought they would coming into the year. And yeah, that's I mean the numbers don't lie. That's been a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the last key turnovers. Yeah. Um, you know, you remember a few weeks ago where we were talking about the fact that MSU was kind of in a decent spot relative to where the program normally is. They were like in, you know, the 109, 110 range. Well, they're what, like 189 now in turnover mark, turnover percentage. Yeah. Um, it's a problem. We, we've gotten back to the point that it's clearly a problem. And and if you think about it, you know, teams in the past that had turnover percentage numbers like that for MSU or even worse, shot the ball well. Mm-hmm. This team isn't shooting the ball well, and they're turning it over. And they're not a great offensive rebounding team. So you're left with, okay, well, what is it that we do actually do well? And it's not much. Uh, but that's a problem. Indiana, as we said, has been pretty decent in valuing the ball. So if they have a significant edge there, then at a minimum, it means MSU's got to counter that with a similar edge on the glass. Ideally, you'd like MSU to just not make it an issue. And it's one of those things where they've just kind of ridden the roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. They've had a lot of games where they're like, okay, 11 turnovers, 12 turnovers, not a big deal. And then every once in a while, one of these nightmare 22 turnover games or whatever they had against Purdue, I forget what the number was, but it was way too high, um, pop up, and it really hurts them. So 
ideally the solution is you don't have much of a gap mm. with IU. And Indiana, again, is another one of these teams. They're not going to pressure you. You know, but we've seen Michigan State, you look at the end of that Purdue game, you know, the meltdown that Joey Hauser had, none of those were really forced turnovers. Yeah. Not really. No. no. They might have looked that way, but they were they were situations where Hauser created them by doing things like picking up his dribble thirty feet from the basket. Yeah. You know, things like that. Um, those are unforced errors in my book. And and Indiana's not going to force you into a lot of stuff, but we've seen MSU be a very gracious opponent mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of just handing it to teams. So hopefully we don't see that on Saturday. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm having a hard time getting over this three-point deal because it, it feels to me like, man, if you just threw them out there, like the whole team, three-point contest versus any other team, you'd feel like they would crush most people. You know what I mean? That's the the frustrating thing about it. All these guys can shoot. I mean, every single one. I will say this. I will say this. There there are historical track records that suggest that that's true. Josh Langford is a plus 40% three-point shooter on his career. I don't know. what Do you have Josh's numbers in front of you, what he's at this year? Yeah, Josh is at uh, 36. Okay, so he's he's off. He's not way, way off, but he's off. Um, Joey wow. Hauser was like a 41% three-point shooter yeah. at Marquette. He's 35. He's at, yeah, okay, so again, he's off. That's significant. Six-point drop, that's significant. Yeah. He's not been horrible, but, but the problem with Joey is he's been feast or famine. Like, he'll have a game where he's three for four, and then you don't see him produce the next two times out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's been the problem with him. You know, Gabe Brown, I think, has been good since he's come back. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what he's at. What's he at he, on the Gabe year? Gabe Brown is the one guy, 45%. Okay. So you can't not Gabe. He just hasn't played enough. Yeah. Um, Aaron Henry's been a bit of a disappointment. You know, his career would suggest this is a guy who could be a mid-30s shooter, and he hasn't quite been that. Um, 28%. Right. He's 38 his freshman year, 34 his sophomore year. Right. So he's gone the other way. Rocket, way, way, way down. I don't even need to know what his numbers are to know they're horrible. Yeah. And this is a guy who over the last 10 games of his freshman year was actually a very good shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lawyer was good early, then he's been hurt, and, you know, you haven't gotten very much there. And then they don't really get it from anywhere else, right? Hogard's not a three-point shooter. Um, so, and none of the other big men really are. I mean, Hall occasionally takes them, but he hasn't been very good this year. Uh, I think what this year has taught us, at least for me, is that a key component that this team does not possess is team passing ability. There is a difference between just taking a shot or taking a shot when you are the recipient of a good pass that hit you in the shooter's pocket. So your, your mechanics and your release are smooth. Mm -hmm. And this team has struggled more than any, Michigan State team I can think of 
in that category. I'm not talking about doing Cassius Winston things where you're, you're just being incredibly creative and you're by virtue of the way you play, you're forcing the defense to adjust and you make spectacular passes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about executing simple passes that get to a guy on time in the right spot and make a shot easy. Yeah. Right in rhythm. This team has done that more poorly than any I can think of. And in MSU terms, and consequently, I think that's been the reason because they've still the offense such as it is, has still been able to generate a lot of open looks. There have been yeah. a lot of games this year. You look at it and say they had looks that are theoretically good shots. They were open. The shooter had enough time to get the ball off without being really contested. Well, but if you're not getting that pass in the right spot, and it's not on time, so you feel rushed. You know, um, you've got to do too much mechanically because of where you catch the ball to get into your shot, and that takes you off. You know, a lot of those types of things I think have been big factors, and maybe in ways that well, I'm speaking for myself, but I, that I didn't fully appreciate would be this important to this team. I assume. Mm coming into the year that this was going to be a typically good Michigan state passing team, even without Cassius Winston, I thought clearly you're going to lose something without having that kind of creator at the point. But, you know, I really thought, Hey, you got Aaron Henry, Aaron Henry had turnover problems occasionally, but was a guy who had proven to be a creative player at times. Joey Hauser came in with his great rep as a passer. A lot of the other guys, you know, rocket Watts, I saw good passing from it. His, freshman year um they had guys who could who could do these things and i thought that would be i actually thought it would be a strength it's why i didn't worry as much about the point because i thought they had enough guys primarily henry and hauser that they could run offense through that it would take some of the heat off we've seen that before you know keith appling as a sophomore was not asked to have everything on his shoulders because he was able to play with draymond green yeah, you know, yeah. And Michigan State's done Denzel Valentine. Michigan State's done that in the past, you know, and I thought that was going to be the equation this year. Well, they haven't been able to do it, but not only to initiate offense or, or be creative, but just to execute simple passes that lead to simple shots. They've done that incredibly poorly. And that, I think, has been the problem. It's why the track records haven't mattered, because guys are actually not getting the same kind of shots that they've gotten in the past. Mm-hmm. That's my take on it, at least at this stage. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't see any other explanation. So well, you can just have, you can just have a bad year. I mean, teams that it is possible that you can just have a down season. I mean, there, yeah, true that. I mean, there is a lot of breakup and weirdness in this season, which you would think, might yes. affect shooting. But I, I don't think you have to go there for this. I think you can see it. I think you can see it when you see, you know, that's the thing. People get, they focus on turnovers. And yes, those have been problems. That's been a problem area. But it's worse than that even. Mm-hmm. Because even when they're not committing a turnover, when a pass is completed, you know, I, I would never ask or challenge anybody to do this. because. But if you charted, I would, 
bet the house. If you charted a good pass from poor passes at Michigan State, just in the execution, the flow of their offense, you would see, I just have to believe, you would see a much higher percentage of mediocre or worse passing mm-hmm. in total than we ever see for Michigan State teams. Now, again, some of that can go back to the inability to have the kind of quality control they usually do. You know, with Izzo missing time, the team not able to practice. Those those things can flow from that, you know. Mm. Um, and I also think, as we've talked about, and Izzo mentioned this actually in the press conference today too, he was talking about leadership. And he said, you know, he was careful to say, you know, this isn't a knock on Aaron and on Josh. Those are the two guys he mentioned. As, as people, they're great people and everything, but he said, we don't have the kind of leadership we've had in the past. Well, that's obvious, you know. Um, but I think all of these things are a function, in part at least, of this just not being a year where Michigan State could tighten the screws. Yeah. And, and so we see the effects of it in a lot of different phases, and that's just one of them. It's actually, I want to, I do want to say this, not that Michigan state is playing Michigan state caliber defense the way we're used to, or that there's some kind of defensive type Titan. But one thing I will give them is after that terrible phase in December, defensively, they've at least gotten to the point where I think they are credible defensively. Mm -hmm. And that is that is something that I have to give, you know, in this year where it's very obvious to point to all the flaws, the things that the coaches and the players haven't done. That is something that perimeter defense in particular, with the notable exception being the Iowa game. And again, I think that was strategic as much as it was anything else. Um, but they've done a pretty decent job in that area. That's one thing they've been able to execute. Haven't been nearly enough, but in this year where we've been talking about all the negatives, maybe it's worth tossing out a positive and, a, and give them a little bit of credit at something. Cause I do think they've done that. Yeah. And that's hard to do. That's, that's a hard to do in the midst of any season. And it's especially hard given the circumstances of this one. Okay. Well, uh, any final thoughts um, heading into Indiana? No, I think we got it. All right. So this one is, Tomorrow noon. at n- Saturday, 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 Saturday at noon. Oh boy. Okay. Yep. Right. Get it over with early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good uh, at this point. Yeah. All right. Until next time, the final four is not on schedule. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more to help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Mr. World here, teaching a little math at my old elementary school. We're doing story problems today. You know, like if Johnny gets two pairs of stylish glasses for $89 at Eyeglass World, then Johnny's mom equals a genius. Get two pairs of back-to-school glasses for $89 and get them same-day fast at iGlassWorld. Visit iGlassWorld.com to schedule your exam online and for offer details.